Welcome to the Manufacturing Masters Podcast with your host, Allison DeFord. As a manufacturer, do you already have a mental health program in place to complement your physical safety and health measures and everything else that you're doing? If you don't, you're not alone. And I want to encourage you to consider doing this. Why? Because as our guest today described to me, the head and the body are all connected. So mental is connected to physical, which is connected to overall well-being and your overall company success and culture. Today's guest is Elizabeth Eldridge, and she is not only an expert on the Manufacturing Masters platform, she is a psychological health and safety consultant. She's in New Brunswick, and she launched a company called Arpeggio Health Services in 2012. It is now the Atlantic region's largest provider of standardized mental health education programs, including mental health first aid and suicide prevention. Now, before you swipe right and decide, I don't know. I don't know. Is this going to be depressing? I don't know if I'm in the mood for this. This is an entirely uplifting conversation, one that I was so thrilled to have, and even more so after we were done. I I learned so much, and it really got me excited about how we can more effectively help our workforce and really create a stronger culture by being more mindful of mental health. So join me today and Elizabeth Eldridge on this episode of the Manufacturing Masters Podcast. Everybody, here we grow. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Masters Podcast. Today, I have an incredible guest, Elizabeth Eldridge, and we're going to talk about a really important topic. Um, We're going to talk about mental health, and we're going to talk about how manufacturers can tap into education programs and resources Uh, which is what Elizabeth does. And Elizabeth, I have a question for you. Is this topic, do you feel like it's still very taboo or is it becoming more front and center? People are comfortable to talk about it. What's the gist right now? Yeah, for sure. It's that, that stigma is definitely something that we're breaking down, I think as a society broadly, and then also within the workplace context, you know, it's we, we've heard lots of mental health campaigns over the last few years with a, a focus on let's talk. We've got to talk about it. It all starts with talking. And, you know, that really is the truth. The more that we have these conversations in our workplaces with friends and family, you know, whoever's in our circle, the more we have those conversations in just kind of a relaxed and casual way that really helps to to break down that stigma, right? It's, I mean, ideally, and and if we think about it from a logical perspective, you know, I often say our brain is just another organ in the body, right? So if I have a broken arm or uh, the flu or whatever, you know, we probably think about that in the workplace environment. You know, if you were coughing or sneezing and I was worried about you, you know, let's say you and I work alongside one another every day, I probably wouldn't be thinking to myself, oh my gosh, wonder if Allison's getting sick. Oh, I kind of want to bring it up, but I don't know what to say. I don't want her to get offended. I don't want her, you know, I would, I would probably feel comfortable right off saying, 
hey, Allison, do you want me to make you a cup of tea? Here's the Kleenex box. You know, do you think you need the afternoon off? Like, what is it that you need? How can I help? Um, so it's kind of bizarre, actually, when you think of it that way, that yeah. if it's if it's a health issue that happens to be related to this one really specific organ, the brain, we treat it totally different. You know, everything else in the body, like we're we're good talking about that, right? But if it's our mental health that's involved, all of a sudden, ooh, it's really scary. It's sensitive. It's uh, you know, it's it's maybe too um too taboo to bring up in a workplace environment even. Right. Um, so yeah, we're definitely headed in the right direction, but I would say we've we've still got a ways to go yet. There's still work to be done. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I wonder, is it do you feel like it's taboo because in years ago and, and for many, many, many years, it was mental was thought of as if you had a mental health issue, it would it was kind of like you're crazy. Mm. Oh, totally. Oh my goodness. It's if we look at the history of mental illness and the way that mental illnesses have been treated, you know, within the healthcare system, even, you know, this the system that is supposed to support people in regaining their wellness. It was not that long ago at all that, you know, if you were diagnosed with a mental illness, you were stripped of your rights. You mm -hmm. were, you know, these were not seen as health issues that a person could recover from, right? You you were not seen as someone who would ever recover, who would ever be uh, become a, a, a contributing member of society again. If you were right. a parent, you were seen as an unfit parent. Um, you certainly were not sit at, seen as a, a fit employee. Uh, so obviously now, I mean, thankfully, we know way, way, way more about mental illness. Um, and we understand that mental illness, uh, even chronic mental illnesses, they are certainly um, health issues that are, uh, you know, people can and do recover from them. Absolutely. You know, so whether it's a relatively minor problem that's kind of a, a bump in the road and the person goes on to, you know, never have that type of issue again, or if it's something that that is chronic and a person's taking steps to manage it, um, just in the way that we do with chronic physical health issues like diabetes, for example, right? Um, you know, just because it's chronic, that doesn't mean a person's always going to be unwell. Um, but you know, when we when we look at um, how very recently the research has emerged that's helped us to to see mental health and mental illness in a, a new lens. Uh, you know, it does make sense that there's going to be that sort of um, those those residual ideas, right, of uh, if you're labeled with a mental illness, then, wow, that's that's not a good thing. Um, so we know better now. And so we just need to, uh, you know, some of us just need to kind of catch up with that. <laughs> right. And I love the term mental health. Um, I myself uh, take Prozac. I have for like <laughs> 20 years. And I think it was a mix of postpartum and, you know, changing hormones and whatnot. And I know I felt a little, I don't know, embarrassed or ashamed. It was this weird, like, wow, I need this, you know, this pill, but yeah. it's helped so much. I can't even express it. I think it's mm. why I'm still here today because I had some really low lows and- wow. And I think it's so important, um, especially after COVID. Did you mm. see a major, um, well, I know there was a major rise in mental health uh, challenges and mm. um, depression and, and anxiety and different things. 
have you seen a an, a positive increase with with let's say with manufacturers and businesses putting this front and center and really making it a priority to really help people mm. you know it's uh it's one if we can take one kind of positive out of a very uh trying chunk of time that uh, the pandemic was i think one good thing was that it really put mental health in the spotlight right uh so many people who had never experienced a major challenge with respect to their mental health before went through something during the pandemic that made them go oh my gosh this is a real thing <laughs> you know yeah. Um, and, and you know, in the wake of all of the change, I mean, it's certainly no secret and, and manufacturing is, is no exception, but I think across just about every industry um, here in, in Canada, and I'm hearing the same in, in the States as well, um, what is what the workplace looks like, what work is meaningful for people, um, what employees are, are kind of willing to do. All of that has really gone through. There's been some major adjustments there, right? Um, so there are there's much more focus now on being proactive about our mental well-being. You know, uh, it's I would say gone are the days that an employer can say, well, you know, when you clock in, check your problems at the door, you're here to work. Right. You know, that's that's not a reasonable approach. Um, and and employees are now saying, you know what, the things that are important to me are no longer salary and benefits you know mm -hmm. there there are things that are that are beyond just those basic things that make the difference between whether i um go for that job with organization a or organization b or stay where i am or whatever so things like work-life balance those are huge especially for younger workers right yep. um and and working for an organization that uh that has values that kind of align with with an employee's own personal values, right? We're we're kind of exactly. evolving past the days of uh check your problems at the door, I think. And can I just say, Allison, too, I just want to give you a big high five. I love when people share their stories, like to oh, that yeah. point of yours earlier, you know, about breaking down the stigma. That's that's what it's all about. It's it's kind of funny that there is still stigma around things like taking medication because, yeah. oh, my goodness, if you look at the statistics, I mean, more than half of us are. Right. And right. Uh, as I like to say probably the other half are close to it. Maybe should be. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, it's like to use that mental health, physical health comparison again. Imagine if I had a broken leg being embarrassed or feeling ashamed that I have a cast on. Right. I mean, everybody right. knows like that's that's what you're doing to get well. So, uh, yeah, there's sometimes this double-edged sword of stigma where like try and figure this one out there's stigma associated with struggling with your mental health but mm -hmm. then there's also stigma associated with taking the steps to get better right? right so it puts people in such an impossible position and you know it it takes a lot to go to a healthcare provider and say I do not feel like myself you know um it's yeah it's big and scary and it takes a lot of courage to do it but um, almost universally, though, people will say, oh, my goodness, why didn't I do this sooner? I'm so glad I took this step. And yep. um, but, yeah, I just wanted to to commend you for that. That's that's well, thank so you. cool. <laughs> well, I think it I think it does take um, some level of courage. And I think I kind of feel like it really does, too, for manufacturing leaders or owners or 
to, you know, get over any stigmas or biases that you may have when it comes to mental health in an effort to wholeheartedly support your team and your employees. And really, I think it takes empathy. You may not understand what they're going through, but by God, if you see or suspect, right, something is going on. um, And then also taking measures, which I think I'd love for you to share more about, you know, instilling a program ahead of time to really help nurture people's mental and physical well-being. I think we're seeing the importance, right? It's like years and years ago, like you said, you showed up for work, you worked your tail off, um, leisure time was not really important, taking care of self was not really important, and especially women, right? The the major childcare um, providers and, you know, I think we tend to... um, feel guilty for taking care of ourselves sometimes. I think we're getting over that. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. I am, but um, <laughs> I I see the difference, right? It's like, if you're yeah. good, everyone around you is better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so uh, I don't want to ramble on. Um, I want to go back to what I just asked about. Can you share um, maybe some problems that are unique to manufacturers or manufacturing, oops, that can be solved. Um, I had this question for you. Solved by making psychological health and safety a priority. Mm. Like, are there any particular problems unique to manufacturing, and what kind of what kinds of things can employers do and put in place to, you know, make this a priority and to really help people be proactive? Mm. Yeah. So. I love what you said about empathy because it really does start there. One of my very favorite, I don't know if you uh, have read any of Brene Brown's works on she Yeah, you're a Brene yes. gal. Okay, oh, yeah. love it. <laughs> uh, so one of, I just, I love the way that she words things. And uh, one thing that she Brilliant. has said that has always stuck in my mind, uh, she talks about uh, empathy being a recognition, recognizing a person's perspective as their truth, right? Um, yes. So yeah, is it? It's it's so bang on, right? Yeah. Um, so I sometimes hear leaders say, "Well, yeah, but what they're what this employee is saying, you know, it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't make well, it's not, you know, it's it's it makes not sense for, for them." Exactly. Exactly. It's with what that person is going through, the tools that that person has access to in their very unique individual toolkit at that time, that is where that person is at, right? So as a leader, if I'm going to be a a support for this employee who is struggling, that's kind of step one, right? I need to, rather than casting judgment on what this person is citing as the problem, um, because our minds so often go to, well, if I were in that person's shoes, you know, I wouldn't see it this way, or I would do it that way, or why don't they just do this or that? And I always say, you know, if, if it was a problem with an easy solution, the person probably already would have done it, right? So, exactly. you know, on the outside looking in, we know it's it's easy for us to solve somebody else's problems, but we can probably we've probably all been in a place before where somebody on the outside is giving us what they see as good advice, right? And in our minds, we're going, well, 
you know, it's, it's there, there's more to it than that. Um, so I think one of the one of the places where we can start, like we talked about a few minutes ago, you know, just having these conversations and putting mental health not just as a, a line item on a checklist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I do, speaking frankly, you know, that is something that I sometimes see. Um, an organization will say, well, you know, our leadership team met and we discussed what we want to make a, a priority for, for the new fiscal year. Um, we're going to hit such and such for productivity or for a um, a uh, uh, <laughs> production marker or whatever. Um, we're going to, uh, you know, do this and this. We're going to address mental health. We're going to do that. We're going to do well, <laughs> addressing mental health like that's that's pretty huge. Right. So yeah. uh, what I always recommend to my consulting clients is think of psychological health and safety as the same as the way that we've traditionally looked at physical health yeah. and safety on the job. Right. It's psychological health and safety falls under the occupational health and safety umbrella. If we're only talking about slip and fall prevention and WMIS and all of that stuff, you know, we're missing a big piece of it because we know our minds and bodies are are linked, right? So we can really, yeah, yeah. So, you know, even just take a simple example in a manufacturing environment. If you have somebody working on uh, a machine who, let's say, uh, let's say I'm uh, a shift worker, right? Which we know there's, this will surprise no one, I'm sure, but there's been uh, lots of research done on the impact to our mental health um, of of shift work, right? So not even just those kind of bizarre sleep schedules, but also uh, it can often cause disruption or disconnection within the family unit and, you know, all, all sorts of um, kind of domino effects that we see as a result. So let's say I've got something going on at home. I'm struggling um, in my, my marriage or spousal relationship. So I'm distracted and I'm working with this piece of machinery, right? So right off the bat, from a risk mitigation perspective, if yeah. I'm distracted and working with, even if it's a piece of equipment that I'm used to and I work with it every day, um, just something small like being stressed out of my mind is somewhere else, that ups the risk of a physical accident being caught, right. you know, happening that day, right? Now imagine, heaven forbid, uh, you know, an accident does happen, everybody who is on shift with me, everybody who witnessed that accident, everybody, like if you think of the impact of that traumatic event um, within, uh, you know, that that work environment, right? And you can, you can just see the ripple kind of grow. So like I say, if we are talking about occupational health and safety and leaving the mental health piece out of the equation, we end up, you know, missing a really big, a really big piece of it. Um, another thing that I see that, that's, kind of unique, I would say, to manufacturing environments. Um, lots of times, especially with entry-level positions, um, it's it's a lot of repetitive work, mm-hmm. right? And so we know that something that really fuels engagement is when a person genuinely derives meaning from the work that, that they're right. doing. So if I bring it, I mean, the ideal situation is that we onboard a, a new employee and they learn the job. They're a great fit for the company. They're well respected by peers and leadership. And, you know, they move up in the ranks and have, well, we know now that most manufacturers in the country are really struggling with turnover rates. And we know the huge amount of resources that go into hiring someone, that whole onboarding process, the training process. Then let's say they're there for three weeks and they leave and we have to repost the job. Or re- I mean, 
a huge, huge cost, right, for for organizations. Um, so how do we keep that entry level employee engaged when realistically the work that they are hired to do in that entry level position might be something like, you know, on a, an assembly line, for example, right? <laughs> um, I'm seeing more and more organizations now focus a lot more in the onboarding process on cultural fit than just skills-based hiring, right? Um, so the idea is if this person is a good fit with our organizational culture, if this person says, um, you know, let's say this, uh, I, I'm hired to work at a factory and this factory is one of one of their core values is on um, green production. You know, they're actively working to reduce their uh, their their emissions and they're contributing to uh, causes that support you know greener production and maybe they give employees volunteer opportunities to do something so if that's something that's really a, an important value to me as a human being even though the the work that I'm actually doing when I'm on shift might not be super fulfilling in that moment it can really go a long way to help me see a future with the organization right um, so then, you know, easier said than done, because, of course, there are a lot of other pieces, too, where ideally there's going to be a leader who um, mentors me and helps me to carve out a career path within the organization that helped. You know, there are lots of different uh, steps that we could put in place to um, help further support me and, you know, sticking with that organization. But the culture piece absolutely is huge. That is so important. So. To recap what you just said, because I like to make sure I'm understanding and that our audience is understanding too, I feel like it's definitely empathy and listening Mm. before fixing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Beautifully put. Understand first, just hear what the person is saying and don't try to fix or solve or judge. I think there's a lot of judgment when we're trying to fix, you know, well, can't you just... Well, couldn't you just, you know, take an extra break or couldn't you just go to counseling with your wife or whatever it is? So it sounds like that's incredibly important uh, for leaders. And then two, when you're hiring, you said, think about cultural fit, not just skills, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if I'm a good, if I... I I often use my sister as a, an example of this. So she's my youngest sister is about ten years younger than I am. Um, she's an environmental scientist. She works for an engineering firm, and she would be like the poster person for um, hiring for organizational fit. She I'm telling you, as a as as far as recruitment. She she is probably one of the biggest assets that that company has because she tells wow. everybody who will listen to her for two minutes how the company she works for is they are the best at what they do. They are the best to work for. They are they genuinely care about their employees. They genuinely. So, um, you know, there's so much discussion right now about recruitment and retention. If we're doing a good job with hiring for cultural fit and and this organization is like they really are a dream team, this company and her as a human being, it's it's a match made in heaven. So they did a really great job in um, empowering her and 
now, you know, the the reach that she has. So for for her company, it's not just falling on a couple individuals to to recruit to say, hey, our company's great. Come work for us. They have. And I know she's not unique at her company, too. You know, she has a lot of coworkers who are telling their circles, hey, this is a great company to work for. Come and work for us. This is this is what sets the organization apart, you know, so um, for for an organization that is hiring someone who is a good fit, that is someone who can really be taught to do anything. You know, it's it's True. something that, uh, yeah, it's because her, you know, what she's doing for work, she finds it so rewarding and so satisfying. But a lot of it is actually new to her. Um, she finished her master's a couple of years ago. And uh, when she started with this organization, they gave her a lot of development opportunities. And she is so in love with the company that, you know, she just if they believe she can do something, she believes she can do it. And she's really, really motivated to learn it. Right. Um, so empowering. So, so she's become uh, yeah. a brand ambassador. Uh, that's exactly it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. She loves throwing stuff out there on LinkedIn about now everybody's going to be Googling my sister's name. Right. <laughs> See who she works for. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's just such. And yeah, so she's she just turned 30 and she would be uh, kind of when I talk about the younger generations and what we're seeing, research is telling us that priorities for millennials and Gen Z, they're vastly different than yeah. um, what met the needs of the boomer generation. Right. And, and even my generation. Yeah. Um, so she is like textbook definition on on all fronts. So she she gives me I should uh, I should probably be giving her some sort of, uh, you know, she she serves as an example for me in almost every talk that I give. So <laughs> I love it. Well, I I always I was so sad when we get towards the end of an episode because there's so much <laughs> um, I want to know. I, I want our listeners to know what. Like, what does your work look like? What what does it look like if somebody hired someone like you, a consultant, to come in and, and work with them? Yeah, so I do uh, kind of a mixed bag of, of tricks. Um, a lot of my job is around assessing organizational needs first. So we okay. kind of identify gaps. Oftentimes, a client will come to me saying, here's the gap that we've identified. But, um, you know, because... Uh, there are so many different links kind of to to mental health. Sometimes if we dig a little bit deeper, we identify, you know, well, this area kind of needs to be addressed before we can address that that area. Um, and then I work with companies to uh, put in place uh, best practice guidelines, which we have now. There's a document called uh, the National Standard on Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace. So that's a CSA document. Um, manufacturers all I'm sure know about CSA. If you're wearing steel-toed boots right now, they're CSA <laughs> approved. <laughs> so uh, this is a document that came out about 10 years ago and tremendously helpful. It's kind of the guiding light for um, being proactive and, and addressing psychological health at work. Um, I do a lot around uh, policy development, culture change strategies. Uh, a huge part of my job is uh, training. So in the same way as, you know, what we talked about with my sister, um, how she's a bit of a brand ambassador for for her company. When we think about the way that we approach and address mental health at work, I I have said a thousand times, um, it, I was going to say in my career, probably a thousand times this month alone, <laughs> that uh, mental health should not just fall to HR, right? I hear lots of times yes. when I show up at the office of a new client, they'll say, oh, mental health, HR is, you know, second door on the left. 
And if we are doing a really good job of integrating this stuff in within our culture, it cannot be an assigned task to just, you know, one department or, or one or two individuals. So um, through training, that's where we really help to break down some of those barriers and um, to coach anyone from an entry level position up all the way up to a leadership role or, you know, anyone and everyone in the workplace should have basic knowledge and skills around navigating a conversation about mental health. You know, so you don't have to be a mental health professional to have these conversations. Like we're not diagnosing someone or or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But, you know, like we talked about the empathy piece, the listening piece, we're not there to fix things or solve the problems. We just need to be comfortable saying to a person, hey, you know, I notice X, Y, Z, you know, you were a little quiet this morning in that meeting. What's going on? Is, is there anything that you need? And if we're knowledgeable about the resources that we have access to um, within our workplaces, like employee assistance program, um, health benefits, anything like that, um, when we have that information and we can kind of, uh, I often describe it as our, our role is kind of like knowledge translator. So, you know, you've got that little blue card that has the employee assistance program information on it. And maybe it came with your orientation package and Maybe you haven't looked at it since the day that you came on board, right? <laughs> so if someone can say to you, hey, listen, uh, this is the this is the phone number. Here's what happens when you call. Or if you go to the website, you log in. And in the top right-hand corner, there's this and that. So if you can really break it down for a person so that they feel like that information is, you know, a little bit more accessible and you, you um, serve as the bridge, right, to help them access the help that they need, um, that that can be huge because, you know, simply put this this mental health stuff, um, if it is falling to just one person, then it's not getting done. Like talk to an HR person. They have pretty busy jobs. <laughs> they have other things yeah. assigned to them other than just this one thing, you know, but um, most HR folks would tell you that um, they have, you know, all day long, there's somebody knocking on their door saying, hey, someone on my team is, you know, going through X, Y, Z, or what do you think I should say to this person? Or someone came to me with that problem. What do you think I should say? So if we give people the tools that they need to navigate those conversations, um, it's, you know, obviously there's practical benefit, but it's also really great for kind of that that team cohesion, right? So that that person who's struggling doesn't feel like their leader is saying, uh, I don't know, go talk to HR about it. Right, right. right. Well, um, I just love that. It I always I don't know, I always find segues to things in my brain or like connections, but I've I've talked for years and and some of uh many of my colleagues are as well how, you know, marketing is not a separate silo from sales. They should yeah, be connected. They should also be connected to operations. I think you bring up a beautiful point that mental health is as important and should be connected to physical health and safety to HR, to every, you know, every department, just like we were talking earlier, how the brain is connected to the Mm. mental is connected to the physical. Yeah. If we can start seeing it that way in our businesses, that all of these um, departments, if you will, these tools and resources, they're all connected. So if Mm. we can just look at it that way, these are just some more tools in your toolbox that are going to help you be a more well-rounded leader, business yeah. owner, um, friend, partner, worker, fill in the blank. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when people feel supported, they're naturally going to be more engaged. They're going to be more loyal to the company. They're going to be happier at work. When we're happy and healthy, of course, we put out our our best work, right? So, you know, there's tons of uh, research showing the return on investment for employers. But I think also just from a, I don't know, a, a human place, I guess, right? It's just, it makes sense. Like, don't we all want to go and and work at a place where we feel like, Hey, that was that felt good. That was satisfying. I had a laugh today with a coworker. My leader really believes in me. And you know, if if we if we can put ourselves in the shoes of um, you know, a person who's maybe going through something tough and and think about approaching that person just as a human being who who cares, you know, of course that's gonna be a positive thing for for everybody involved. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's um to me, this whole thing boils down to everybody wants to matter. That's it. That's it. And so when you feel like you matter at your workplace, it's going to affect really every part of your life. So yeah. I, I just want to thank you for, for spending time with me today. I want to tell you what the work you're doing matters. So oh. thank you. Thank it's you. so kind of you, Allison. It's, that really means a lot to me. Thank you. No, it really does. I, I tell people I have a... Um, self-proclaimed PhD in self-help. <laughs> and um, so I'm constantly learning and absorbing tools and resources and, um, you know, ways that I can not only help myself, but help others. So thanks for spending time today. And if, you know, everybody listening, if you're not already connected with Elizabeth Eldridge on LinkedIn, for example, please go do that. Um, you will not regret it. And if you have any questions for her, um, please reach out to her. You could DM her on LinkedIn. And um, I would just say thank you to everybody who's listening right now or watching this today for spending some time with us. And I want to let you know that if nobody else tells you this week, you matter. And the work that you do is very important. And, and we're excited about it. And we're excited that you're here. So Hey, keep tuning in and uh, we appreciate you and thank you for being here today. Thanks so much, Allison. It's been fun. All right. Until next time, everybody. If you're not already, subscribe to the Manufacturing Masters podcast on Apple Music or Spotify. And for a deeper dive, head on over to manufacturing-masters.com. It's everything they never taught you in school.